Hello and welcome back to the True Folk Podcast, Episode 3. My name is Matt and I'll be your host for another artist interview. This week I'm excited to share an interview I had with Jesse Gillen Walters of Basic Printer. And I thought this one was pretty interesting because Jesse, being a Binghamton native who transplanted to Nashville, has seen both sides of the coin. So I really wanted to get his insight on operating as an indie musician in the most extreme of situations. And this is what he had to say. One of the first things that I wanted to open up with was when I was doing some, I guess, research, getting ready for this, I was reading through your uh, different artist biographies and uh, a couple of them mentioned you around 2011, 2012 playing Zelda games in your room, just kind of like hanging out, making music. And it hit me because around the same time was when I got into the series, like 2011, 2012. So I was like, oh, we were probably playing the same games at the same time. So like, yeah. what games were you playing? What's, so, what's Zelda games? I think the one I was referring to is Skyward Sword. Okay. I don't know if it came out then. 2011 is when it yeah? came out. Yeah. So that's perfect. So yeah, it was like I've always played the Zelda games as they come out. But there was one winter where I was really beat up about a relationship. And Skyward Sword was like totally just my teddy bear in that moment, you know? So like I would just every day, like it's just snowy Binghamton, you know, like freezing Binghamton. Play Zelda, eat pumpkin soup, and chat a while, drink tea, and listen to final records. And that's and work here. We're, yeah. we're sitting in Mario's Pizza, yeah. by the way. Brought to you in part by Mario's yeah. Pizza in University Plaza. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> That ended up like embedding itself visually, like the narratives and the visuals and the sound design and stuff definitely like stuck to me from that moment, particularly. There's something about that series that it always hits people during a formative time. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Well, I guess, too, it's like very applicable of just this general idea is almost like a David and Goliath kind of like narrative to Link's like character of how it's like the things he can, can get over. And it's just also just a general like idea of like hardship through all these different colors of hardship. I didn't even think about that. It's like pretty universal, like struggle and triumph. Yeah. But so we are in Binghamton now mm -hmm. and you were living here at the time. You're from mm -hmm. here. And now you make experimental electronic music. Mm -hmm. But this area isn't historically known for that kind of genre it's always been kind of like a hardcore pop punk scene so how what made you true. go in that direction well it was less the scene and more the environment so it was more like being away from the scene and in my room and being impressed upon by the environment and just processing some things so there isn't a lot of judgment there and it's like you find your initial voice to be a little scratchy and weird but like that's how I built my musical muscle was doing that you know I didn't set out to be like you know this has to be like I'm gonna get into music starting today what do I want to do I want to make rock music or whatever then there's like like some textbook you could read on like how to do rock music good and then you would get on the right foot like a polished version of your first effort you could get there pretty quickly but like in this other way of finding your voice and living in it for a little while and letting it be off kilter and then sharpening that into what it, like today it feels like it's in its most robust sense that's like way more empowering and fun. So to answer your question, like just uh, not so much the scene or the city, like it, my inward reaction to that led me down this sonic route. You're like the inverse reaction to the scene around yes. you, essentially. Yeah, yeah which I kind of am with Nashville. It's like also just kind of this like punkish rejection of like, no, I will go to the country bar and like play experimental pop <laughs> at people <laughs> and they'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> so you moved from here in Binghamton mm -hmm. to Nashville. 
I mean, that's a pretty common thing. People leave their hometown. So and a lot of people come from like smaller areas and they move to bigger cities. So what are some pitfalls or things that someone who's making a move like that could expect to see if they did something similar? I don't really believe in in pitfalls in these kind of ways, because I mean, people talk to me and they'll be like, oh, you're so brave. You just went to Nashville like that's just without looking into it. Like you just knew you just like took a leap and it's like. Yeah, I mean, I got there, found a house, like it was lonely for a sec. It was sad at moments, but like way better for like, what's what's so scary, you know? It's totally an insecurity, fear-based thing. Like what pitfalls are there to talk about? Like, oh, well, I had to spend a lot of money for, for a month. <laughs> I, had to, I had to move some stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, if you want to hear about like, yes, like it was lonely. There was definitely some settling in. But it's like, if you have some wisdom about that kind of thing, it's not weird or jarring. So yeah, I guess I would say, make sure you're emotionally like ready. That's like it, that you can trust that for so, there's a lot of mileage in that. Yeah, it's a it's like an emotional struggle or a mental struggle instead yeah. of a physical one. Mm-hmm. So especially coming from here, like what's the DIY scene like in a Nashville, like a music capital? It's pretty interesting because Nashville's scene is almost like mega institutionalized because the, the musical economy is like a huge chunk of like the goings on. So preserving that involves sometimes stepping on the toes of the DIY scene or like DIY scene is kind of seen as illegitimate because it's like if for every DIY show that occurs, it's like that could happen in a in a club and really good sound guys and lighting guys could get paid and like tourists can drink and like you know there's a lot of is high value music is high value so like diy potentially robbing from those instances is a political concern and like for example there is a kind of targeted law that doesn't explicitly say you can't run a studio out of your home but it in effect does that is interesting you can't run a, a business out of your home where the transaction and the product like or service takes place in the home so like you can master out of your home and send tracks abroad or like not abroad abroad re- relative to your home send it to other people remotely but you can't technically track a band in your house and then give them a demo on their way out and charge them wow. so Kind of, I mean, imagine like you can't do a salon, you can't do a DIY, you can't host a venue really. I mean, it doesn't stop anyone because so many people, that's their livelihood. Like really amazing, like respected engineers and producers and masters like rely on that model. So whatever, kind of. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Like the DIY scene, it's definitely there, but it's kind of this concept of like, well, when are we making the change over to actual clubs, though? Whereas other cities, like I feel like Binghamton, it's like DOI or die, you know? Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective for me personally, because I never would have thought of it like that, because DIY in places like Binghamton or smaller places is out of necessity yes, rather than rebellion. Mm-hmm. So just to the fact that there's an area that is so active, there is so much going on where DIY is like, low-key illegal yeah. it's mind-blowing isn't that to crazy me. Yeah. yeah i that's so weird now that you've like you have this perspective you're you're out and about in a music capital so what advice or tips would you give to indie bands in smaller less active mm-hmm. areas you can always sharpen everything you're doing no matter where you are you can always get better at music on your own. You can always learn to spread the word by music on your own. You can learn to book shows. You don't have to, like a place like Binghamton does not have to limit you at all. You can be, I mean, and I, I, I guess I would say build your musical capital 
in those ways before you make that leap. Not that you have to, because the principle is the same. You could go somewhere and then and then sharpen the skills and be around. In my case, like Nashville, it's like you look around you and it's just like you're taking so many cues of like, oh, that's what I got to do. That's what I got to do. That's how you do that. So there's definitely that like scaling factor that is you're benefited by by going to like the it city for whatever thing you're doing. But the I mean, you're just going to learn like you have to be good at music. You have to be confident. You have to be multifaceted and you have to market your music. That's not too much, I would say. It's like a pretty clear view to all of that. Whenever you're thinking about how you're wanting to do music, like I feel like that's all obviously there. Just focus on doing those and don't wait around like for one of those to happen. Like I feel like the detriment of a band is being like, well, we're, we're not a band that draws, so we just got to wait. You know what I mean? Or like, we just got to wait for someone else to do that. Like, we got to wait till we open for someone and then we'll start drawing. But like, everything is totally on your shoulders. Like, you're going to get freebies like that, but they're going to be off of your hard work and someone noticing it, you know? And it starts with selling five tickets. So I would just say that, like, there's so many things that I looked at in music being like, well, I don't have the capability to make nice recordings, so I'm just a lo-fi kind of act. You know what I mean? Or I don't know how to market, so I just don't play shows because no one would come. So, like, I guess I just put shitty recordings online, and that's what I am. And, like, that's just totally yourself doing that. So in that same vein, now that you've you've seen how things are done, essentially, what are a couple elements or mindsets or practices, anything that you would bring to Binghamton from Nashville? I think like this show that's happening tonight is exactly that. So initially, I wasn't trying to play Binghamton because I didn't think it would go over too well. So I was looking at Ithaca and Syracuse but I couldn't get anything together. But then I like turned to Binghamton and there was so many resources that I, you know, people I knew that I could just be like, let's just do it. Like all, all I have to do is tell you that I'm doing it. And there we go. The show that's going on in Binghamton is like such an anomaly. <laughs> like this show tonight, it's like an experimental band with local a touring band that was born in Binghamton with a BU opener. So like this cross-pollination and then at like what it was formerly Merlin's like on a court street venue like and there's a ticketed pre-sale that I'm running and I feel like I, I was just thinking how can I make this show the most proper like if you want to crush a Binghamton show what do you do? Do you tap the campus scene? You pick like a hi-fi venue that like has production value that people are really wowed and then you market it to Binghamton which it's like doing that in Binghamton is like dropping a bomb. Marketing in Nashville is like oh there's another ad. But like, if some indie band's coming through Binghamton, it's like something to talk about. So that's what I want to bring. And we'll see tonight. Like, if this really turns out, it's like anyone could do this, right? Like all, you know, I mean, I, I have significant, put done a lot of legwork here just by living here for 25 years or 23 <laughs> years. So it won't translate exactly. But theoretically, this is a model, a Binghamtonian model that could work for other touring bands. Yeah. Bring back no excuses. I don't know. Music around here seems like it's more heralded as an art form, like a performance art mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then if you go to a place like Nashville, it's definitely way more commercial. Yes. And so music just in general kind of toes that line be between art and commerce. So how do you view music just in general? Music is it's just a language and like almost a breath. It's like a processing mechanism and it just feels better to do it. It's like runners, right? Like when they're getting up to running marathons, it's like their life and they're like happy to run, what is it, 24 miles? They're happy to run all this, happy to run that far and happy to condition themselves for months and months. Like average people run marathons, you know? like condition themselves and like take care of themselves to get there because like the more 
loudly you exercise that hobby, it's like the better, it's just like the way more you get out of it. It's kind of the same thing. It's like going back to what I said before, it's like, yes, I could have made like lo-fi recordings and just put them online over and over and over and over until now. And it would have felt fine, would have felt good. But like once you step into higher production value and meeting other people and moving to Nashville, playing shows and assembling bands and marketing and adding commerce into it, it's just like the marathon version of that initial jog, which feels both feel good, but like the marathon is like such an achievement. And to me, the commer the commercial side of music is does not ruin the art. It like betresses it. You know what I mean? Like, should I be demonized for like touring? You know what I mean? Cause like if this show's really cool and a huge turnout, like that was a big artistic moment. That's like, why would we why would anyone say like, yeah, it doesn't count though, sold tickets. Like, yeah. you know, to me, it's such a, I feel like we've been pressured as musicians to say that we can't be businesslike. It's like, like bad, like demonized. Yeah. And if, if anything, it kind of like cuts the legs out of the sustainability of it, because if you can't eat, yeah. then what are you, what are you doing? Right. Exactly. It's exactly that concept of how much mileage does the concept of me uploading these shitty low five demos, how much mileage does that have versus having like a hi-fi show? And when you don't pay a band for playing three hours, the mileage on the, I mean, you pay, you get what you pay for or you, what you don't pay for. That band can only sustain itself on its joy of playing in, to a shitty, like in a shitty situation for so long. And at that point, it's just like, it's music fans, like hobby performing. Totally. It's not, in a, it's not an advancement. Now jump in, I guess, to recordings because people are making like lo-fi kind of like vibey recordings in their house and it, and it's cool because music, music making tools, I think it's cool that they're way more accessible than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. And so you can just, what was that one project? Who made Fireflies? Oh, um, dang. Yeah. You, what the hell is his name? <laughs> Owl City. Owl City. Yeah. I remember uh, people like lamenting that he just made it on a MacBook in his bedroom. Right. Like, but I think what's the problem? Yeah, I think that's that's really cool. And that like that kind of makes Fireflies like a folk single in, in a way because it's like he's a person in mm -hmm. his bedroom. He's folk making music yeah. for folks. Mm -hmm. So like how do you define folk music in 2018? You introduced me to this philosophical concept just now, which I love. So I would have said I define it as... I may have gotten to that conclusion before we talked about it in a sense. I would have said like a lo-fi kind of whatever processing moment for like a 16-year-old kid maybe is like a folk song. And in a lot of times that even imbricates on the sonic element of folk, but other times it's like totally not. Or like high, like, like top 40-esque like fireflies. So I really like that. I think moving forward, I will look at it more that way. I think going in, I would have more tended towards the sonic element of folk as the definition, but I would rather take this definition with me of homegrown, what do you call it? Layman's music. Like an ethos instead of like a genre. Yes, exactly. An application and a identity. For sure. That's, you know, that's what we're all about here at True Folk TV. Oh, yeah. Now, one thing I like to ask pretty much everyone I interview is what has you inspired lately? It could be, it could be just like the weather. It could be a book you read. It could be yeah. really anything. What always inspires me is like my past relationships. It feels like every time I like reflect on those, there's some like precious nugget of something that I could just like write about and it like never fails me it's just like there's always something in my past that i can just pick up and be like yeah that was so like such a potent thing and that's kind of the lyrical spirit of everything comes from there the sonic spirit of everything really comes from like naturalistic stuff 
I'm like really obsessed with clouds and the sky and you know the sun and stuff. I'm real super affected by the weather musically. So when I lived here, it would be like my winter albums <laughs> would be so le like so wintry. Like, and I would make them. I would make an album every school every break in college would make a winter break album and a summer break album and there was like like it was so obvious so that's huge for me recently i realized like i think zelda has a lot to do with that just these super lush like dense set pieces with these hyper composed music is like a really rich compositional like experience you know that's like definitely like playing a zelda game in itself is a lesson in like not so much like soundtracking yes but in a more like relatable personal way like just making set the sonic set piece for your own like vibe and, and feeling of the moment yeah and did, did i read that you have synesthesia yeah so do like does like some of the like does the winter music look blue or sound blue to you and stuff like that yeah yeah oh yeah is so, it what color is like a G minor to you? The key. So that's not how it works for me. Okay. All right. It is. Yeah, it's different. Some people have like, you know, D major is yellow or something. I don't have as much of that. It's more of a like a producery kind of synesthesia where the vibe is like the donut. So like a moodier tune is really purple. Okay. Do you like Radiohead? Yeah. So do you know In Rainbows? Yeah. The song Nude? Yes. Track three is like the most purple blackish song like that's the epitome of a purple song for okay. me okay so it's more like vibe based yeah now i gotta listen to that song and see yeah, how purple it purple sounds as hell and then so like on a lot of my last few albums i put the track list in the colors i see them in um i don't have one here but like my ep the back it's like each track title is in a different color and that's such just for me it's like it's not so it's like pretty intense sometimes and like emotionally to like go through synesthesia, but less than it's that, unless I'm like deliberately trying to like meditate on the synesthetic moment, I guess. Less than it's that, it's like a great compass. It's like if something is definitively like purple, for example, I'm like, I almost have like a reference chart for like, this is a moody song, whether or not I know that objectively or something. But then on the other hand, it's like when I find like green is really hard for me to see. Okay. So when I find green, it's like feels really wild. So it's, it's cool for that reason. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that must be like a, an interesting like production tool, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So finally, you're on tour right yeah. now. Do you have a record out? Do you have a single out? Is there something you're trying to push? Uh, what do you, what can we expect? Well, I did an EP last year um, that I toured, and I guess I'm, I'm technically still touring that, but I'm also touring a couple new tunes that will come out in later this year, like late summer, autumn, and that will be cool, I think. The EP I made was, it's kind of weird because before then I had made like six LPs, but again, like I consider them these kind of like Binghamton demo quality things. So I kind of did this hard reset and did this EP, and that's like the formal bigger start of things. So there is still that, and then, and then yeah, new albums coming out soon. And then when that drops, we can I assume we can find it. Yeah. Wherever music is sold. What will probably happen is that I will probably release it on my own before it's on streaming in a creative way where I will like slowly unveil the record to people with all this like background info and content and stuff. And then they'll have the option to like get a deluxe physical version of it. And that'll all happen before streaming. So that'll be cool when that happens. But that will be the first thing that you hear about. 
And if people want to either book you or just say, hey, what, what is the best way to get in contact with you? Um, send my Facebook page a message or email jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at basicprinter.com. Thanks so much to Jesse for taking time out of your busy touring schedule to talk to me. And yes, the show ended up being amazing that night. I think it set a great precedent and I'm excited to see more shows like that in the Binghamton area. I'll put links in the description so you can check out Jesse's music and all his social media pages. And if you want to keep up with the podcast, visit us at truefolktv.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.